Hey, Jesus, sorry I'm late. Work was crazy today. No, don't get up. It's okay. Uh, yeah, just got a little bit behind. People are being crazy, you know. That's no problem, Chuck. I'm just glad. Uh, I'm glad I made it, too. Listen, let's get down to business. I have a lot of work here. A lot of requests. First things first, Pastor and his wife are at a conference. Keep them safe. Um, but, uh, I'm not a fan of the assistant pastor. The less he preaches, the better. Uh, what else? Ralph, his wife, is getting a tattoo removed. It's a stupid college party way back when. You know how those things go. It's in a real painful spot. I'm not a fan of football here, but my friend is. And if I could have two tickets to take him to show him how cool I am so he'd be my friend some more, that'd be great. My dog Nibbles has a gimp leg. Chimney crickets. <laughs> you know, now that I'm thinking, I could use a new jacket. I'm getting fuzzies all in this one. Please bless my sister, my mother, my father. Our father who art in heaven, my neighbor, Cindy. Hallowed be thy name. Can you sort of train my church to clap on two and four, please? One and three, this is not disco, people. This is serving the Lord. The guy who brings in my shopping cart from the thing. Something I can do to get a raise. Can you read what I wrote here? I think I was, I was dreaming. Plus the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Agriculture, the Secretary of Secretaries. Bless their secretaries. Thy kingdom, thy kingdom come. And that's what bothers me about my mother. <laughs> hey, look at the time there. That's, uh, uh got to get going there. Jesus going to wrap this up and say amen. Amen. Uh, it's been the pleasure praying with you it's fine evening i'll be talking with you have a good day and he fades off into oblivion anybody ever prayed that way a little laundry list of uh order up and you know it's funny um i was contemplating whether to use that video or not i got a chuckle at it and it was funny because i actually caught myself doing that about a month ago and i'm sitting here doing my little laundry list of and bless my father and his secretary and his secretary you know we get into these these ruts and part of the the message today the reason i wanted to show that is that i want to get you out of the rut that there's a prayer rut that you can get into in fact the name of the message is we're in part three of our series called dialed in Dialing in to the plan, the prayer, and the purpose of God, what he wants in your life. Today's message, I call it the dead zone. The dead zone. And the genesis of this is really, it's hindrances to prayer. But this is my little phone, the HTC Hero. Back when I got it, it was ridiculously cool. Now it's archaic. It's still considered a smartphone, but now with all the technology, I think it's a dumb phone. Either way, it works. But when I drive through Dykesville, every time I could be... On the phone, I mean, I paid money for this phone. Every time I drive through Divesville, uh, I'm talking to my wife or talking to somebody else, and then click. There's a dead spot there every time. It's like clockwork. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't, uh, there's no way to, it, there's a dead spot there. And so as I began to kind of configure this, how many understand that our prayer life can hit those dead spots? As you're driving along in life, you know, you think you're motoring along, you think you've got it all figured out, and boom you realize that there are some hindrances to your prayer that no matter how much you dial it this way or dial it that way, the end result is when you're in the dead zone, it's in the dead zone. You're not going to connect. And so the idea of connection with the Father is a dialogue. Say dialogue. It's not a monologue. It's that what you just witnessed was not effective 
prayer, and I want to get you out of the dead spot. So turn in your Bibles. You can also follow along on the screen. Got a great example of how to pray in the Old Testament. We're going to apply it with New Testament principles. Uh, It's the story of Hannah. Hannah gave birth, and I'm going to give it away at the beginning because I want to show you the process, but she gave birth to a leader named Samuel. He was one of the greatest leaders of the Old Testament. In fact, he was the one who anointed King David, who was the guy that slayed Goliath. But the problem with Hannah is that she had a societal stigma. She was barren for quite some time. So that's the narrative where we pick it up. So let's start 1 Samuel, and we're going to start with chapter 1. I'm going to read through some of this. Some of these names are like gristle. They're very hard to chew on, so bear with me. There was a certain man from Mamathame, Ramathame, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, or Tofu, I don't know, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Stop. Envy and jealousy right there. Because back in that time, there was a societal stigma that if you did not have children, you were not blessed. And so in that culture, if a man married a woman and she bore no children, it was customary to take a second wife. Can you imagine that happening today? It, wouldn't, it didn't happen well then, and it's not going to happen well now, unless you live in Utah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so year after year, verse 3, this man went up from his town to worship and to sacrifice the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he'd give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Now, it doesn't say he loved Penina. Just chew on that for a second. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. I want to camp there for a second. In the, in the translations that I looked up in Hebrew, it says the Lord left her womb alone. That's critical. And I've looked at a number of commentaries on this, and I want to keep going. But it says the Lord had left her womb alone. Verse 7. This went on year after year. So imagine the scene, guys. Hannah's coming year after Lord. Lord, I'd like to have a child. Lord, I'd like to... Every year she's coming to the house of God. Now, this was not a person who was an idolater. This was, in our modern-day vernacular, a staunch Christ follower who pays her tithes, who works hard, who reaches the... Are you following me here? This is someone who's devoted to God. Year in, year out, she's showing up at the house of the Lord. This went on, this little little uh, cat fight went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. So how many understand that God knew her need? He knew what she wanted. And year after year, she goes to the house of the Lord and nothing happens. Anybody ever felt that way before. I go Sunday after Sunday. I've been standing for this prayer. I've been standing. I've been wanting. I've been in agreement. Pastor Ryan's saying, get my hopes up, but my hopes are up. And then I get my hopes up and then my hopes go down. Not to mention that you've got my unsaved friends telling me I'm an idiot for believing what that pastor said. This is what she faced. So in verse 10, we skip down to verse 10. Again, she's facing deep embarrassment, shame, Her rival's in her ear. How many understand that the voice of the enemy is in that rival's ear? 
You have the enemy chirping at you all the time saying, can God really do the impossible? Did God really say? We've, we've preached on this. And so she's hearing this, but she wouldn't quit. Verse 10, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. The New King James Version says she was in bitterness of soul. Now, I looked up the word bitter and the word in the Hebrew and the word in the Greek, and you know what the word bitter means? Bitter. You know what bitter means when you add all the other words to it? Discontented. Diseased. The Bible says in Hebrews that there is a root of bitterness. So as I looked at Hannah, I always, I've looked at this thing a thousand times. I've never seen this before. But every translation I looked at, bitter means bitter, and bitter is not of God. So if bitter is not of God, would you say that she was doing some things wrong here, staying in bitterness? Now, yes, her rival was provoking her. Yes, she was upset at the fact that this woman was just constantly chattering and, and reminding of her need. But bitter means bitter. How many understand when life deals you lemons, you go to God to make the lemonade? You don't agree with what your rival, your enemy is chattering in your ear. Verse 11, and she made a vow, and this is where the game changes. Year after year, she's gone to the house of the Lord. Nothing's happened. Verse 11, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Notice we see something different here. All of a sudden, God enters into the equation and it's not just about a son because what she doesn't realize is is that she's wanting a son god's wanting a revelation god's wanting to give a revolution to the entire area what she's asking for a son he's looking at a larger picture about a kingdom so god is looking at it from above from a totally different perspective but here's what happens as she verse 12 kept on praying to the lord eli observed her eli would be pastor ryan or pastor arnie in today's vernacular hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving but her voice was not heard so eli translation pastor ryan pastor arnie pastor mary pastor Lori, thought she was drunk and said to her how long are you going to stay drunk put away your wine now, in today's translation, that would be like me going up to someone who's been in pain and agony for years and say, what are you, drunk? How's that going to go over? Okay. Now, in today's modern culture, and I probably, my flesh would probably flare up too, but my first response is, who do you think you are, Eli? But notice what she says. Instead of getting ticked off, she says, not so, my Lord, Hanlon replied. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Verse 17, Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. In verse 18, she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. So something changed here. She consecrated her life and this child for a purpose larger than herself. She began to talk it differently. She began to talk it to the people of God differently. She didn't dishonor the pastor when the pastor, his approach would, would be a little crude in today's society. Would you agree? But she didn't walk. She didn't walk out of the house of God. She kept going back year after year. And probably, if you think about this, had many opportunities to have healing services that nothing happened. And she never 
quit. But when she started to change her mindset, when it says there that she went her way, she was no longer downcast. You know why? Because she was focusing on the person who solves problems instead of the problem. And once she started putting her focus on that, then God began to release what was in his hand, his plan, his thoughts. And when she lined up with that, things happened because guess what? She had her son. You know, and I even think about this too. By the way, is anybody in here, close your eyes for a second, just for a second. Anybody raise your hand? Anybody having problems having kids? Close your eyes, please. Couple, couple, okay, right there. Um, in about two minutes, we're gonna, have, we're gonna pray over you in just a second. I'm just gonna pray over you from here. But here's what's interesting. I've heard this many, many times. People, they would adopt, uh, they would adopt a child or they would begin that process. They'd adopt that child. They've been trying for years. And the stress and the chemicals and all of that, that they, the, 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 the feelings of anguish instead of going to God, they were locked up. And then all of a sudden, the barrenness ends when they get rid of the bitterness because bitterness can equal barrenness. In fact, it will lead to barrenness emotionally, physically, if you don't give it to the Lord. But what's happening here is, I believe this is going to happen. For some of you struggling is, is that the moment you give that to the Lord, things are going to change. That's called a pause. Here's the thing, bitterness will lead to barrenness in every aspect of your life. And I found that people that begin to give it to the Lord, they've been praying over you. There's an anointing there to meet that need. But sometimes we get so stressed out about our finances. We're barren in our finances. We're barren in many other areas because we're bitter. And what God is wanting to do is take that bitterness and turn it completely upside down. And what's funny is that you're not stressed as much. You're not, you're not holding tight to every last penny. You're not, you're not every day coming in there weeping bitterly because someone else got healed of cancer and I didn't and I'm ticked off about it and I have 50 other people reminding me of it. Are you getting this? Now, God is awesome. He's sovereign. I'm not, I'm not here to beat anybody up over that. I am trying to get something to you. Amen? The anointing is there for everything because God can do anything. If I don't believe God can do anything, I need to step down off this platform and go straight back to the broadcast booth. Can I get a witness that nothing is impossible with God? Amen. Nothing. Please close your eyes. I want to, please, please close your eyes. Is there someone, those people that raise their hand that they're struggling to have children? I believe in nine months or 10 months or a year from now, we're going to have you up here praying and, and thanking God for those kids. Who, who was who, who here? Can you please raise your hand again? There were several of you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Now just receive this. Father, I lift them up. I know there's a struggle here. There is no condemnation or shame here. Lord, I ask with supernatural anointing that you speak straight to their spirit right now and that they release that hurt and that, that anger or whatever it is, that, that thing that is a barrier just like Hannah, and that they would take the word of God from the pastor they don't know and they would receive it and it would supernaturally birth something in them right now in Jesus' name that they will not let go of it. In Jesus' name, we consider it done. Amen. And I'm just getting started. May your servant find favor in your eyes. Amen. So we learned something from Hannah here. I've got a couple of points I want to hit on. But, you know, basically it's this. Check your motives. Check your lifestyle. Check your faith. Check your perspective. 
And, the, and as I studied that scripture, these are some scriptures in the New Testament that I really want to touch on because I believe that, you know, how many understand that grace is not earned? You, Hannah couldn't work hard enough, couldn't fast hard enough, couldn't do all the religious things hard enough to get God to move. If God was just moved by need, he would have moved a long time before that. God was moved by her obedience and her faith. God was moved not only with compassion, but he was moved because he had a larger purpose in mind. So motive, would you say, matters? Well, she had a legitimate need. Come on, Ryan. I've been praying for years. Well, yes, but read what James says. James chapter 4. Check your motives. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and do not obtain. You fight and war, yet you don't have because you do not ask. Well, Hannah asked, but verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask what? Amiss, that you may spend it on your what? Pleasures. I don't know if we had that up there. But the, the, the bottom line is this. Good things aren't always God, th- God things. Say it again. Good things are not always God things. I love coffee. But if, if I got out of this industry, this profession, this calling, and opened up... First of all, God would not fund me the money for a coffee bar because he knows I would be an addict. I would eat and drink all the inventory. I'd be geeking and tweaking. I'd throw my marriage away. Hello? God's not going to answer that prayer for a coffee shop for Ryan Kibbe. It's just not going to happen. Now, in and of itself, is coffee bad? Absolutely not. But for Ryan Kibbe, getting around it too much is bad. Really bad. Are you tracking with this? Okay. If your name is, my name's Jimmy, God, can you gimme, gimme, gimme? My name is Jimmy Gimme. We need to be careful on how we ask. James really hits the Christ follower hard. In Proverbs 16, 2, it says like this. We don't have to put it up, but he says, people may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Now, I'm going to tell you, one of the things I've struggled with over the years is that, especially in the, the profession I was in before, in the broadcast news industry, I got pretty good at it. I knew how to work sources. I knew how to do things. And I became a little prideful about it, to be honest with you. I mean, I knew what I needed to do to get the right story, to do this and to do that. Uh, You get on autopilot. But, you know, at some point, how many understand when you're going cruising along in life, God has a way to hit that interrupt button and knock the snot out of our pride? Anyone anyone have that happen to them? Okay. Uh, Lord, help me if I ever get back to that mindset again. But I've been there. I've done that. And then you look at your bankroll, your 401ks, and this and that, and you're going... You know, I'm not doing bad. The worst part is, is that we begin to lose our primary focus. And our primary focus is, number one, is dependency on the Lord. Number one. Everything else falls in line when you get that principle first. It's why God says, seek first the kingdom. So our motives. Here, let me give you this example. If you do a budget, and let's say you put 40 bucks a month for Starbucks... 100 bucks a month for date and a movie night, $600 for the cars that you don't need because you resent driving it because of the debt that you owe on it. But you look good to the Joneses, praise God. Meanwhile, your marriage is hemorrhaging. Does this relate to anybody here today? But I want those cars because they give me something, kind of like Hannah, societal status. Is this resonating at all? Anyone? Has anyone in here not ever looked at the Joneses and said, I want that? Is there anybody in here? 
Can we be real? We've all asked for bad things. We've all asked for good things, but our motives are turned upside down. Uh, practical examples, you know, as you look at this. Here's what I'm concerned about, and this is what God's concerned about. Is our societal status, our bankroll, our toys, our fame, our vacations, our movies, our playstations, our golf game, our designer clothes, and our problems all ahead of the Lord? Man, I'm just hitting you guys hard today. I mean, it's just like a shot of adrenaline just bam, hits you guys. But you know what? The thing is, don't we all need a little cattle prod every once in a while? We do. I need it too. I'm going to go home and cry. No, Jesus brings no condemnation. He brings conviction. And this is going to resonate with you guys because I believe everybody in here wants prayers answered, correct? Prayers that hit the dead zone don't get answered no matter how much God wants to answer them. That's what I'm trying you to see, so check your motive. I spent a little more time on that one, but I felt I needed to. James chapter 4, check your lifestyle. James 4 chapter 6, he says he gives more and more grace. This is the amplified version, but he gives us more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency and all others fully. That is why he says God sets himself against the proud and haughty, but gives grace continually, say continually, to the lowly, those who are humble enough to receive it. Now, understand in the book of James, who was James, who was he writing this to? Was he writing it to the unsaved guy or was he writing it to the early Christian church? He was writing it to the early Christian church. And what he's saying here, and this is the key part, he says, God sets himself against the proud and haughty. So some of you have some problems. You're not fighting the devil. You're not fighting your flesh. Guess who you're fighting? God himself. What do you mean? God himself. Why? Pride. Hello? You're fighting. It says right here. Let me read this again. I need to get, just pour this into you. That is why he says God sets himself I read in every translation, sets himself against the proud as setting himself against the proud. That means God is opposed to that. Hello. I wanted, to, I wanted to reinforce that. So if there's something, there's an area in your life that you know is not right, God's going to set himself against you, not out of condemnation, but because he loves you. I watch my little Landon boy. Every time I take away a toy, it's like this. Oh, and it's so dramatic. Oh, and then he crawls up, and then he gets up, and he looks at me, kind of squints his little eyes at me. And you know, there's the stare down. Anybody had the stare down before? Then I bring out the wooden little spoon. We spank here, by the way. I mean, we don't abuse here, but we spank, and we do timeouts. And we do happy... By the way, parents, catch your kids doing things right, and it's a lot easier to do the discipline. Uh, when I talk to my kids, I catch them in what they're doing right, and oh, we just celebrate it like they've just won the lottery. I mean, oh, wow. That was a really kind thing, Amarissa. But if we're always just, you know, the hammer, that one was free. That was off topic. You know, my two-year-old does remind me of me a little bit. Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not what? He will not what? He will not hear me. If I regard, so that means that's habitually, have you ever heard uh, people talk about grace as a license to sin? Anybody heard that? 
oh, well, God will forgive me tomorrow, so, you know, I don't need to check my lifestyle because it's all under the blood of Jesus. God calls that trampling on grace. That is not an excuse. If the Lord is speaking to you in an area, remember I talked about coffee, okay? But there are some things that, you know, I've had to give up over the years. You know, now I, I'm going to step on a few toes here. Here it comes. I can feel it. I hate booze with a passion. Hate it. But I reconcile that there's people that can have a sip here and there. And I look at them like, how can you, how can you just leave a sip there? Because if, they would sit there for an hour and look at a, a glass of wine and it would just sit there and I'm sitting there with the old alcoholic in me look at that and go, aren't you going to finish that? And then I would add like 50 others to that, right? And I look at those and I go, what is normal? So in my world, I would, I would, it would be prohibition if I were God. You would have no shot at anything. I mean, it would be just, thank God I'm not God though because would be legalism everywhere. <laughs> so... The point being, though, is, Kibby, you can't drink. Well, why not God? He can handle it. Kibby, you can't drink. So in that situation, I'm an idiot for drinking. I mean, I'm not going to do it. Because for me, it is, leads to serious iniquity. Okay? But I've learned to give that care to him. Now he's given me a life. I'm going to tell you, I have not had an urge to drink booze in over 10 years. I've been sober 15. But... Yeah, but that's, that's him. That's him. I have no desire. And, and by the way, if you are addicted to anything, I'm telling you, you can be free. And we're going to get to that. I may preach just a little extra long today, but I got a lot. This is like boiling in me, so I'm just going to vomit it all on you. Amen? Check your faith. <laughs> Number three, check your faith. James 1. I'm hitting you with a lot of James. You know, James is a great book. If you're a new believer, read it. It's like the practical handbook for living. I mean, James is just phenomenal. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without approach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, the reason I, I, I underline wisdom, because it says if any of you lacks wisdom... So in every situation, when you're developing your faith, for instance, it would be stupid for me to believe God for a 10,000-seat sanctuary when we got 300 people here today. Are you getting this? And I, going out and getting a, I don't know, what are 10,000-seat auditoriums cost these days? About 10, 20 million or 30 million? Okay. So the bank says to me, yeah, Kimmy, go ahead, go get a loan. Or whatever. And then every time I get up here to preach, we're going to talk about tithing again today, every sermon, because I'm sweating bullets, because I'm sitting here hemorrhaging, because I've taken on a debt and called that faith, hello. By the way, our government does that. God, I'm just evil today. I mean, I'm just hitting everybody. Bam. It's that anointing of irritation. <laughs> I do have faith that God will supply, but wisdom is so important. We need wisdom. Say wisdom. Ask for that, and God will tell you how to pray. He'll tell you if you need to believe for that car or if you don't need to believe for that car. He'll tell you what kind of car. To... Are you guys understanding this? Practical living. And there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. 
And so you need to do that. But check your faith. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because I'll tell you what, this entire ministry, you, I, you cannot get me through a sermon about talking about it. It's like on me. That's why when we prayed over those people, you know, to, to have kids, uh, they're getting kids. You know, and that's, uh, don't talk me out of it. I'm tired of pastors talking people out of, you know, trying to talk them down and not get their hopes up. This pastor will always push you to get your hopes up. But like Hannah, she had to wait year after year. The point of this series and this message is to say, if your prayers are hitting the dead zone, find out why, go to the Lord, ask for wisdom and deal with it. That's what this is all about. So check your faith. We can do another subject. That's a whole nother deal, but check your faith. Number four, check your relationships. First Peter three says this in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should. So your prayers will not be hindered. Every translation of hindered means hindered. That means you're not hitting the zone. You're in the dead zone. That means when I come up here and I do a happy, loving, wonderful talk and I have cussed my wife out on the way to church. Oh, Lord, (laughs) are you getting this? (laughs) We have to check our motives. We have to check our faith. We have to check our relationships and our lifestyle. If I'm treating my wife like dirt, God will deal with me on that. But I can't be asking him to reach you. I've got nothing to give if I don't get that right first. Because after I preach that great sermon and I go home and, yeah, it should be nice, Kibby, if you lived what you preached. Now, I think I do, don't I? Somewhat. I try to. Try to. Uh, I have, by the way, just as free, but I have the most amazing woman in the world, and she is awesome, and she corrects me. Uh, I listen to her. Husbands, listen to your wife. Listen. In fact, let me say that again. Husbands, listen to your wives. They'll keep you out of many a ditch. It's a little silent in here. I'll save that one for the relationship series we do in February when we're giving, you know, like beautiful giveaways to the whatever, to the American club. And hopefully that your wife will want to go with you to the American Club. You come here long enough, we'll get you fixed. God will help you. Mark 11, verse 24 says, I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But I hate the buts, don't you? But when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. I hate that one. Because I like a grudge, and I want to build a a memorial to it. I want to camp on it, relive it, think it through, find out many ways that I can torture him or her. I mean, seedy stuff. Now, don't look at me like y'all are all so spiritual over here. I said we have to do the Bible. I didn't say it was easy. But grudges are awful. And I'll tell you, I mean, and I've learned this, you don't have to feel like you've forgiven someone to forgive them. A lot of times the emotional will just come on the other side of it when you make a conscious choice. And here's the worst. I found the ones that are the worst, God will say, oh yeah, I want you to like send them a fruit basket or, you know, do something that is completely antithetical to what I really wanted to do, which is to, you know, hit them with a two by four. Ask me how I know this, because I've done this many, many times. I've had, we have to keep short accounts, people. 
You want to have your prayers not heard, just hold the grudge. Those are dead zone prayers every time. And God will deal with us on that. He will. It doesn't mean that I, there's things that happen to us guys. I know it. We've all had it where you have been egregiously harmed. No doubt. But it's like this. And this is, a, it'd be like this. If God conveniently forgave a $10 million debt to me, and then I go beat up my brother for 20 bucks that he owes me. We can't do that. That's just not, that's not what Jesus, Jesus died to make you an heir to the kingdom. Let it go, amen? Let it go. By the way, the Bible does say this. If you read, read Matthew 18 in your spare time. Read the parable, but at the very end, in many translations, it says, the guy that held this guy hostage emotionally, held the grudge, it says he was turned over to the torturers. In other translations, the jailers. So when you are in unforgiveness, you're in your own personal prison. You are in jail. And you think you're holding the other person in jail, but you're holding yourself in jail. And those are dead zone prayers. Last one. Check your perspective. And I'm going to close with this. Oh, 1106, Pastor Arnie. I'm firing. Last one. Close. Dave, where are you? I want the soft, twinkly music. Amen. Give me something with a little spice to the end. It had to be you. <laughs> I don't know where that one came from. I, I don't. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. Back, back on the train. Check your perspective. John chapter 5, there's a great story. You can read it in your own time. Jesus approaches this guy at this pool. And this guy's been sitting there for 38 years. So I'm 39. I'm thinking, wow, that's a long time. I could have done a lot of life in 39 years. So he's sitting there at the pool. Every year, they'd have this, these little pools would stir up, and the first guy in there would get healed. And he's watching this. He's watching everybody, like Hannah, get their miracle except him. So Jesus comes on the scene. And he goes straight up to the man, and he asks him a question. He says, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? And I thought about that. Gosh, Jesus, he was there 38 years. Of course he wants to be well. But there's a reason that the, the Gospels have that. And the reason is this, is because his perspective, and we need to check our perspective, his perspective was down here. He's looking up at the world. He can't even begin to imagine what life is like walking yet. I'm sure many times in that, around that temple area, he would pray, Lord, help. Nothing happened. And Jesus asked him a question, do you want to be well? <laughs> he, he doesn't say no, but the reality is when Jesus looked at him with compassion, the man, he said, take up your mat and walk. At that moment, that man had a choice. He could sit back and say, I've been hurt. I've been abused. Um, uh, my rivals have, have laughed at me. Uh, I can't even begin to see how I would hold a job. Uh, what is that going to look like? And what if people hurt me? And are you guys understanding that sometimes the camps and the ruts that we build, we don't want to get out of? We can't even begin to see the other side of that. Our perspective is off. And so we don't even ask the right prayer sometimes because our perspective is off. Remember we talked about Hannah, how she changed her perspective? God was thinking an entire kingdom. She was thinking a son. This man's, the God's glory was manifested when he decided to take up his mat and walk.
That's my challenge for you today. Where is that point of need of that prayer? You know, you've come to the house of God. Perhaps you've come here for the last year. You've heard me talk faith till you're tired of hearing it. I'm not responsible for the miracle. I give all praise in God to Jesus Christ. But I want you to change your perspective and look at it through the eyes of Jesus. Doesn't it say in the Bible that he's no respecter of persons and what he'll do for one, he'll do for all? He's willing. Would we agree? So if he loved one, he loved all? If he died for one, he died for all? Is that theologically wrong? No. And I begin to get revelation of this because there's things I've been sitting on, Hope and I, privately for years. And then I get up here and I listen to myself preach and sometimes I'm going, yeah, but Kibby, get your hopes up and get in position. Get those prayers out of the dead zone. Get them into God's framework, his perspective, how he views it. Give it to Jesus. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We, uh, we prayed over the people that are believing God for those children. Now, I want to ask you, for some of you here, I've gone through some of this. Your motives. I remember a couple weeks ago, I realized that when I was praying to God, I was like that guy ordering up everything on the menu. And I never listened to the Lord. And I was focusing more on the gift than the giver. Now I'm going to ask you, I'm going to, you're going to change the way you pray, but I need you to be honest with heads bowed, eyes closed. And I'm going to ask those of you that if that is the normal way you pray, I want to break that today. And I want you to do that by agreeing with God. I want you to stand up and I want you to give that to Jesus. I, thank you. If, if most of your prayers are gimme, gimme, Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, well, I'm going to deal with this right now first, and then we're going to go to the next one. Lord, I just pray over each of these people right here. Thank you, Lord. I know that they've, like Hannah, they've come to the house every week faithfully, week in, week out, believing you, but they're honest enough to say, you know what, I've been looking at the gift more than the giver in most of my prayer life. I'm going to fundamentally change. That's going to break off. I declare that over them. I'm in agreement with them and I thank them for the courage they have to, to get rid of it and give it to you, Lord. Honor that, Lord, because in your word it says you will. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Next, for those of you that have been in unforgiveness, you need to wait not a second. You need to stand up right now. And the reason I talk about unforgiveness so much, thank you. The reason I talk about this so much is because it's so prevalent in the body of Christ and one of the top reasons why prayers don't get answered. Anymore. Anyone else, they know they're in unforgiveness. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Even if it was one, praise God, we're going to get rid of that today. I declare by faith, thank you. I declare by faith over all of these people that have stood up and said, yeah, unforgiveness is a part of what I'm dealing with. And Lord, it's hard because I can't, I don't want to forgive. But with supernatural anointing, I just declare you are all free right now in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord. I, we have authority. And it says in your word, two or more are gathered together. We agree it's done in Jesus' name. Release them. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.